I'm grateful for Dave to invite me to continue in our study of the Gospel of Luke. So take your Bible if you would. If you don't have one, um, the Pew Bible, page 851, I believe it is. Luke chapter 18. Um, I get to continue this study that we're calling the Red Letters, which is simply the words of Jesus. So we're focusing on what Jesus said as he's taking his disciples to Jerusalem to suffer and die there. He's telling them what it is. What, what kind of life he wants them to live. I want to talk to you this morning about prayer. And some of you, when you hear somebody say, we're going to talk about prayer, um, you might be bringing up all kinds of like bad feelings about prayer or inadequate feelings when somebody starts talking about prayer. Have you ever met a Christian who says, I got this prayer thing figured out? You know, I mean, I'm there. I'm I'm mature in this whole thing about prayer. I've arrived where God wants me to arrive. And my prayer life is what God wants. You ever heard anything like that? Ever heard a Christian ever say anything like that? Never. Almost every one of us, when you bring up prayer, we think to ourselves, Oh, man, I feel inadequate. You know, I feel like... I feel convicted, you know. And then people, we start talking about our prayer life and... And it's kind of discouraging. And I want to say to you, these verses, if you see them the way I hope you will see them, they will be a liberating, encouraging thing for you. And and so I hope that you will tune in and hear what Jesus is saying and how he's teaching us about prayer. So follow along in your Bible, if you would. Luke chapter 18. Let me read verses 1 through 8. It says, Then Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. Now pause right there for a moment. This is the only parable where the gospel writer says, This is why Jesus said this one. Uh, Now if you've read other parables, some parables are difficult to understand what it is that Jesus intended. And we have to sort of dissect them and we need teachers and commentaries to try to figure out what is the message of this parable. A parable is simply a human story with a spiritual meaning and teaching. But this one, right in verse 1, Luke tells us why Jesus told them this one. He told them this parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. There it is. That's what this is about. That's the meaning of it. You got it? Always pray and not give up. Say it with me. Always pray and not give up. Say it with me again. Always pray and not give up. So how you doing? Oh, man. Always pray. Does always mean always, literally? I mean always? And not give up? Does it really mean not give up? And who's he talking to here? Who's he talking about? It is disciples, right? Who who are those people? It's them and us. So this is the word of God about prayer to us. Okay? Okay. You, you submit to that idea so far? Because if you do, I got you. Right? Okay, well, Jesus has you. Okay, so let's keep reading. Jesus told his disciples a parable to show them that they should always pray and not give up. He said, In a certain town there was a judge who neither feared God nor cared what people thought. 
And there was a widow in that town who kept coming to him with the plea, grant me justice against my adversary. For some time he refused, but finally he said to himself, even though I don't fear God or care what people think, yet because this widow keeps bothering me, I will see that she gets justice so that she won't eventually come and attack me. And the Lord said, listen to what the unjust judge says, and will not God bring about justice for his chosen ones who cry out to him day and night? Will he keep putting them off? I tell you, he will see that they get justice, and quickly. However, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? First verse and last verse, crucial verses. And in the middle is this story, this parable about this widow who has been offended, hurt, mistreated, and she's going after the judge They didn't have law courts and lawyers in those days like we do. They had a judge in the community who would settle these kind of things, and she is asking for justice. Justice means to be set right. She's been mistreated. She needs things to be set right, and she needs somebody in power to do this. She asked the judge, and the judge doesn't care about people, doesn't fear God, and doesn't care about people. Interesting that you'd have a judge that doesn't fear God and doesn't care about people. And Jesus says, this is what this judge is like. And then he begins speaking about God. And so what we've got to do is we've got to stop and think, what is the main message of this? And Jesus tells us in verse 1, he is, disciples should always pray and not give up. That's the message. When you walk out of here, I'm hoping you're going to walk out of here thinking, I'm a disciple. I should always pray and not give up. Prayer. We've been trained about prayer. I've helped train some people and teach people about prayer. And probably when somebody brings up prayer, some of us just hang our heads and we think, oh no, here comes another one and I'm going to feel guilty again. And and that is one of the biggest tricks of the evil one, that he has somehow found methods to take some of the most crucial things for our life as followers of Jesus Christ and turn them weird. So that now when we think about prayer, we almost always think about something rather strange. We've been, you know, we've been to seminars and workshops where somebody talks about, oh yeah, like you need to pray, like, you know, this famous prayer warrior, prayer warrior, that's an interesting term all by itself. Uh, This famous prayer warrior gets up at three o'clock every morning and prays, and you should too. And I think, oh man, I don't want to, you know. Or some famous mature person that had so much to happen, it was going to happen in my life today, I have to get up and pray for three hours before the day begins. And I just think, you know, is this, is this what it's like? And have you ever talked to somebody who you thought was a prayer warrior and used that phrase and they say, I'm not a prayer warrior, I'm just beginning to learn about this because every one of us feel inadequate in this. No one, no one has arrived, but this will encourage us. There are a few problems, of course. Every time Jesus tells a parable, there are some questions that, that come up. And usually we're trying to, you know, untangle the parable and try to give it meaning. And, and a lot of people say you should really look for one primary meaning in a parable. And I think there's truth in that. So I think we want to look for the one primary meaning. But there are a couple questions. One is that Jesus seems to be comparing God to this uncaring, unjust judge. And, and so you just have to answer the question, is God like that? Does God not care about people? 
This is where you say no, right? No, that not, must not be right. And so some people say, look, this is not a comparison between the unjust, uncaring judge and a holy God. This is a contrast to where Jesus is saying, the judge was like this, but God is like this. And the common denominator here in this whole thing is persistence. That the widow kept coming back and coming back and coming back, and the unjust judge finally responded to persistence. And then Jesus says, will not your father respond to you when you persist? So disciples should always pray and not give up. One of our problems is, is that we, when we think about prayer, a lot of times we're almost always thinking about what it is we want. Like we have a prayer list, and when we pray, it's usually asking for something. Many of us limit the whole idea of prayer to asking. We're having a prayer request. This is what I'm praying about now. And sometimes our prayer life is almost always limited to what it is we're asking for. And then some people have even taken this parable and said, well, if you just go to God enough times, if you just keep pestering God after a while, God will have his arm twisted behind him by your persistence. He will give you what you want if you just persist enough. You think? Does God give you what he doesn't want to give you if you just persist enough? And yet we're supposed to always pray and not give up. And then Jesus throws in the word quickly. The Father will, will bring justice quickly. And we realize, well, have you realized that your definition of quickly is different than God's? Like, I don't know about you, but when I have a prayer request or I'm thinking I, I really need God to do something, I, like tomorrow is good, today would be better, but certainly not next week or next month or next year or 10 years from now. I have this sense of timing about things. But Jesus said, the Father, God, will see that they get his children get justice and quickly or speedily. Interestingly enough, that's the same word that's used in the next to the last verse of the Bible in Revelation 22, 20, where Jesus says, Behold, I am coming soon or quickly. So some scholars say what Jesus is talking about here is he's talking about the fact that God has a different time scale than we do. And our need is to submit to God's timing of things that with God, a thousand years is one day. And that's second Peter three. And one day that'll become clear in the fullness of the kingdom and the new heavens and the new earth. If we're able to look back on our life, which I think we're going to be able to do, we're going to realize then that our sense of timing was not the same sense of timing of God. But God knew what he was doing. And some things are not going to be clear until then. And when he brings justice, he does it quickly. So there's a lot of things you can sort of study about God and in contrasting him to this judge. But I want to get to what I think is the main message of this parable. And that is that Jesus wants us, wants his people to always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. I want to burn this in your brain. So say it with me. Always pray and not give up. Always pray and not give up. One more time. Always pray and not give up. Really? Does he want that for you? To always pray and not give up? Disciples. Pray all the time and not give up praying all the time. What is this about? 
And when you think about this, you begin to realize this is difficult. Every one of us would look at this and say, this is really difficult. And so we think about constant prayer, always pray, and persistent prayer. And first question is, why is this so difficult? Why, why would something like when Jesus says, this is what I want for you, why would it be so difficult? And you don't have to think very long before you realize, well, there's a lot of reasons why it's so difficult. One is that we tend to think of prayer in a very narrow way. Like when you think, when you just hear the word prayer, what, do, what, what comes up in your brain? What, what do you think about? Do you think about prayer meetings? Do you think about prayer lists? Do you think about Going away alone and being quiet so you can talk to God. Do you, you talk about, do you, what do you think about when you think about prayer? We tend to put prayer in this like box. And I certainly have. And God, as I get a little older, is just moving the box a little bigger and bigger. And usually when we think about prayer, we usually think in terms of our requests, what it is we want. We're asking for something. And for a lot of us, that's all prayer is, is, is stuff that I want. And so those are the things that we pray about. And so when we think about praying, asking God, we we have a little difficulty with this idea of persistence. Like being like the widow coming back again and again and again until the unjust judge was so irritated that finally he did what she wanted to do. So is that the way we should ask? Is that the way you ask your neighbor? If Like something? Do you go, do you ask him again and 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 again until finally? Do you? We've been trained to be, like, polite when we ask. So I may ask you for something, and, you know, and, and I think that's probably all I'm going to do. I may kind of hint, remind you a little bit, but I wouldn't ask you a third time because that would be, like, rude and inappropriate. It would be presumptuous to keep asking. I would th- be thinking to myself, if you want to do it, you'll do it. I ask you, it's been clear, you know what I mean? If you don't want to do it, you won't do it. So I don't just keep pestering you. And yet, Jesus is talking about always pray and not give up. Another reason this is so difficult is because we're distracted people. We're like busy people involved in life. There's, that's nothing wrong with that. That's just who we are. We, we've got families and responsibilities and jobs and we've got difficulties and we've got relationships. We've got a lot of things pulling on us all the time. Nobody escapes this, right? I mean, this is just the way we are. We're wrapped up in a lot of other things And there are some things that we want, and we don't pray about everything. How can you pray about everything, right? I mean, you can't pray about everything, can you? Should you pray about everything? And and haven't you found that it's easier to start a habit of prayer than to keep it up? Like, how many of you done the January devotions thing, you know? We're going to do January devotions on about the second week of February. It's over, right? So... This whole prayer devotional thing. And what is devotions after all? I mean, we've just attached a lot of significance. I'm not saying these things are bad. I hope you understand me. A reality for me, one of the reasons why I find this difficult is a lot of times I don't feel needy at all. A lot of times I really do feel needy. There are times in my life when I feel like exhausted, needy, like helpless. And and I've discovered that the more needy and helpless I feel, the more I pray. You relate to this? And the less needy and helpless I feel, I tend to pray less about that. I pray in direct proportion to how needy I feel so many times. Another problem that we have is that, frankly, everything conflicts with prayer in our life. Everything. Everything does. 
right? Or at least our idea of what prayer is supposed to be. If good things happen in our life, then we think, hey, I'm okay. I don't really need to pray all that much. Things are going okay, you know. But then if good things go bad, then we get discouraged and we think, well, it probably doesn't matter very much if I pray. So uh, we pray sometimes and we get answers. And then we think, well, if I got the answer, I don't need to keep praying about that, right? So I quit praying. So, Or we pray and we don't get answers and then we get discouraged and we think there's no change, so why keep praying? We've got a bundle of reasons why this is hard on us to always pray and not give up. But Jesus is teaching us here that this constant, persistent prayer is the best way to live. This is what God, our Father, has given to us. That this is the best way to live. And this is not weird. It's not bizarre. It's not for certain holy people. It's not just for the prayer warriors. It is for disciples. And what are we? Disciples. A disciple is a learner, a follower, an obedient one. Here we are. If you, if you own Jesus as Lord, you are a disciple. This is for you to learn to always pray and not give up. This is the best way to live. My wife has been trying to teach me something for about 40 years. Um, <laughs> it goes something like this. That real love is known by relationship. She knows that I come from a long heritage of dysfunctional relationships. And so occasionally she will say, Carl, relationship, your sister. Call your sister. Relationship. Remember, relationship. Call your sister. Okay. Why? Because real love is known by... Relationship. I love my sister, but I don't ever talk to her. Because my sense is that real love is demonstrated not by relationship. You know, she wants, she, she says that the real love is known by face to face relationship, sharing, talking, listening. You know, are you with me, guys? Right? You know, and, and I think real love is known by doing stuff. And, and I'm right. And real love is known by doing stuff. I mean, if you love somebody, you will do things for them, right? Right, men? All right. But she's more right, as much as it hurts me to say it, she's more right about this, that real love seeks relationship and intimacy and face-to-face and, and talking and loving each other and personal attention and all those things that sometimes we find difficult. So in our relationship with God, Jesus is teaching us that prayer is about relationship with God. I wish that I could take an eraser in my mind and maybe some of your minds and erase what you think about when you think about prayer and write something new in. If I could, I would write something about relationship with God. That's why this says we should always pray and not give up. Paul said it, continually pray, or one of the Bible translations, 1 Thessalonians 5.17 says, pray without ceasing, right? Don't stop praying. Really? 
He wrote in Philippians 4, 6, in everything by prayer and petition. He wrote in Ephesians 6, 18, pray in the Spirit on all occasions with all kinds of prayers. There's all kinds of prayers. Prayer is a big topic. It's broad. And sometimes you can pray even without words. Oh, really? Now, I'm not going to get mystical and weird here. I'm just telling you it's true. right? Because prayer is all kinds of different things. We tend to think of prayer... Uh, at least many of us do. I don't, maybe, I don't know if you do or not, but many of us t- have been taught that prayer is about something that we do when we stop doing everything else. That I cannot really pray unless I stop doing everything else. Like It's like go into your inner room, like Jesus said, and shut the door and pray to your Father in secret. And we tend to think, well, that's what prayer is like. And so all the time, anytime I'm going to pray, I've got to shut everything else off and I've got to focus my brain on God and God alone. And that's why it begins to be difficult for us. Because we tend to limit prayer to that kind of thing where you stop everything. Or when, or it's about what I need. I pray because I need, because I'm, I'm asking God for something and then I pray. Or so many times prayer is about something, about a list of things perhaps. We have these prayer lists and prayer meetings and, and some of us just like get sweaty palms when we think about some of those prayer things that we do because... They're sort of different. So what is prayer? Prayer is communication, my friends. It's conversation. It's relationship. It's intimacy. And the reason it's called prayer is because it's with a human and God. And he has attached a word to that called prayer. And God wants us to live in continual communication with him, continual relationship with him. So the Bible is full of all kinds of things that say something similar, like walk in the Spirit. What is that? What is walk in the Spirit? Walking is like left, right foot, left foot, just walking through normal everyday life. Walk in the Spirit. It isn't until only when you can go into your inner room and close the door that you are to walk in the Spirit. We're to walk in the Spirit all the time, through life, through when we go to school, when we go to work, in our normal life with our family. Abide in Christ, John 15. What does that mean, abide in Christ? That's about relationship. It's about recognizing that I am in Christ and that I have this relationship with Christ because of what he's done. And because of that, then I have this access to God through Christ. And so I abide in my Savior. We live by faith and not by sight, the Bible says. What does that mean, live by faith and not by sight? That's an everyday experience. This is not just a one-time occurrence once a week or before we eat a meal, right? We do these things all the time. Some of you are have been around Cedar Mill Bible Church for a while, and you remember the days when Al Wallen was pastor here. And Al Wallen taught the people a lot of good things. And he homed in on a few basic principles about the Christian life. And one, one of the ones that he taught me and many of you reinforced, reinforced to me was he called it, remember, Constant conscious communion. He repeated that again and again and again. It was burned in the consciousness of so many people at Cedar Mill Bible Church that what God wants is constant conscious communion with him. He wants a relationship with us where it is constant. That is all the time. It doesn't stop. It goes on all the time in everything, not just in church or or at certain times of the day. You know, he wants a constant relationship and he wants it to be conscious. That is, he wants us to be aware of God. He wants us to actually to 
think about him. Of course he does. And he wants it to be a communion, that is a relationship, a communication, a face-to-face, a talking, a sharing, a listening, a speaking. In the book of Genesis, Genesis 5.24, very interesting little verse about Enoch. Remember Enoch? It says, Enoch walked with God, and he was no more because God took him. Fascinating. The Bible scholars say he didn't die like Elijah. He just, God took him one day. And he, had, and he did it because he had such a relationship with God. He walked with God. And so one of the old writers, the old commentators say, tell a story that Enoch was walking along with God. He did this all the time. He was walking with God and talking with God and listening to God. And he was walking and he went, walked a long ways, you know. And then Enoch realizes it's getting dark. And he, he told God, I, I, boy, I better turn around and head home. And God said, you know, you're so far away from home. Why don't you just come home with me? And he took him. I don't know if it was like that or not. But Enoch walked with God. Do you walk with God? What would that be like? I want to tell you it would be like always praying and not giving up. It would be like constant conscious communion. Because the reality is here, God is focused on you all the time. Isn't he? When is the last time God turned away from you and ignored you? When, when, it, when has God ever said, I'm not thinking about you anymore? When has God withheld his loving kindness or his everlasting love for you and said, I'm busy with the whole universe. I don't have any time for you. Does that happen? You think? The answer is no. Because we believe in a God that is so great that he has the capacity to love every single one of us and have his eye on us all the time. If he cares about birds of the air, how much more does he care about you, Jesus said. Everlasting love. This God that we worship has a loving kindness. Did you know that he's thinking about you all the time? Now, that's a stretch of faith to believe that one. You believe that? That the God of heaven, the almighty creator of all the universe, is thinking about you all the time. We just can't wrap our minds around that one because we can't do that. You know, we can't think about that many things at one time. We can barely think of two or three people, you know, and, you know, and this whole thing about always praying and, you know, we just think you can't do that because life is happening all the time and. You know, and I just recognize again that some scientists say, you know, you really can't have two simultaneous thoughts happening in your brain at the same time. I shared that with my wife the other day. I said, you know, scientists say you can't do that. You can't have two simultaneous thoughts in your head at exactly the same time. And she said, well, men can't. (laughs) Uh, uh, there's, There's probably some truth to that, so... But my friends, I'm trying to help help you think that the reason why God wants you to have, always pray and not give us because He's always thinking about you. He's with you every moment. Don't you? Yes or no? Yes. Is He aware of you at every single stinking moment of life, whether it's good or bad? Is He is He thinking about you while you sleep? 
Does the Bible teach any of this stuff? Oh, yes. Does God care about you like that? Then what should we do? We should have that kind of relationship with him. He never ignores me, so we should always pray because pray is about relationship with him. It's not about, it's not about closing your door or saying certain kind of words. It's not about trying to figure out how to say it in King James English because God really responds to thou. You know, I mean, we just, we've got to get our heads around this one and recognize that this is normal life, what we're talking about here. Think about Jesus' normal life. What, think about the, the prayer life of Jesus. How do you think Jesus prayed? What do you think was happening in the mind of our Savior all the time? Now, the Bible does say he, he, he told the disciples on occasion, you guys stay here, I'm going to go away because I need some alone time with my father. And he did that. He drew aside and he prayed to his father. And those are real intense times. And sometimes we see him in the Garden of Eden and he's on his knees. And, and we tend to think of prayer like that. You've got to draw away from everybody else and so you can focus on God. But here's my question for you. We know that Jesus did that. We should do something similar. But do you think Jesus did that every day, all the time, every moment? Did he do that? Do you think Jesus prayed every day, all the time? Maybe rephrase that. Do you think Jesus had a constant, conscious communion with his Father? Oh, yes. Of course he did. That's why he said things like, I don't say all the things that I want to say. I say the things that my Father commanded me to say. I don't do all the things that I want to do. I do the things that my Father commands me to do. Because he had this constant, conscious relationship with his Father. And my friends, this constant, persistent prayer is the thing that trains us as dependent and obedient disciples. This is what trains us. This everyday kind of thing, not an event, not an experience, not a one-time thing, not even a bunch of head knowledge, not, not some kind of experience or some kind of understanding. for what, The thing that trains us as obedient, dependent disciples is a lifestyle, a constant, continuing lifestyle. That's why this is not just an optional idea. When you see the word should, don't think of it in terms of English as I can take this or leave it. This is about what every one of us as disciples of Christ must do. We've got to, if we're going to be the kind of disciples that walk with Jesus and increasingly become more and more like him, we've got to reorder our understanding of what prayer is. God wants in me an awareness of him all the time, every day. Whether I'm feeling needy or not, whether I'm feeling good or feeling bad, you know, this, this, is, this is a recognition that my God has always got his eyes on me and he's training me to always put my eyes on him. But this is a stretch for us. This is difficult for us because we tend to think you just, you just can't do this. You can't, you can't pray while you're going to work. Sometimes the things that, like work, work is so consuming that we have to devote ourselves to this, like this problem or this difficulty, these relationships, you know, with work or issues. Or, and you can't pray all the time when you're, like you come home to family or, or you're facing this difficulty or you're in the doctor's office. I can't, I can't just carry on a conversation all the time with God during the midst of all those things, can I? Can you? I just say to you, oh yes you can. And God loves this the more that we do this. 
And the more that we do it, we realize a whole bunch of things begin to happen. One of the things that happens is that prayer chases away the sinful tendency in my life. It's very difficult to be walking in conscious, conscious communion with God and then to to give yourself by choice to some kind of thing that's so incredibly selfish or sinful. And increasingly what happens to you is you begin to, to hear the word of God. And you begin, you begin this whole idea when people say, you know, prayer isn't just about talking to God. Prayer is about listening. And some of us go, God doesn't talk to me in a voice I can understand. And I want to say to you, the more that you practice conscious, constant conscious communion. It's hard to say. You get real tongue-tied when you do that. Um, the more that you practice this, the more you're gonna, you will hear him. And he will say things to you that you would not have heard any other way. You see, prayer is not about us talking to God, primarily. It's about a conversation. So many times we think prayer is like, okay, we're gonna have like a prayer, we're gonna have one hour prayer meeting, so we want you to pray for one hour. So how does that make you feel right now? I want you to pray for one hour. 60 minutes, right? You okay with that? No problem? Would you all come? No! Because that's hard to do. And if I come, I'm going to have to get a notebook and a list of stuff because I'm going to run out of words, right? And I just can't talk to God for all that long, you know? And is that, is that it for prayer? Would you, would you invite your neighbor over and ask him, come over, come over and sit down in my living room and talk to me for one hour straight? We wouldn't do that, right? I mean, we've just made prayer this bizarre, weird kind of thing, and, you know, we've narrowed it down. But this constant, persistent prayer is what teaches us what is best, and our whole mind begins to be reordered. So how can you do this? How can you grow in constant, persistent prayer? You just start. You change, you, you enlarge your understanding of prayer. Whatever box it is you put prayer in, and maybe you haven't, maybe I'm, I hope I'm not insulting you here, but we tend to put prayer in a box and limit it to certain kinds of things. I want to say to you, prayer is not when you stop doing everything else you, in order so that you can pray. Sometimes we need to do that. That's good. But that's not the constant conscious communion. That's not the always pray and not give up that Jesus is talking about here, or Luke is talking about. We need to practice a conversation with God while living life every day. So how do you do that? Well, for one thing, you shorten your words, and you resist the tendency to speak in King James, and and you just... You talk to him like you would anybody who is great and powerful and can help you. For me, many times in my life and throughout the day, my prayer is one word. It's Father. I can't tell you how many times I say Father. Father, help me now. Father, speak to me now. Oh, oh, look what I have to do, Father. Oh, here comes that person again, Father. You know, oh, you know. Or, you know, I feel this way. Or, you know, here's this temptation again, Father. You know, what this does for me, I don't know about what it would do for you, but what it does is that it immediately establishes a link between me and my Father who cares and loves 
and provides. And it seems like to open a pipeline for him to speak to me and give me what I need. It can be at any time, at any place. It can be with people. You can carry on a simultaneous conversation with God Almighty when you're talking to people. It may just be a few words when you're talking to God. Or it might be when you walk with with them or in between the conversation when you stop. And maybe you're just saying, God, use me now in this person's life. Lord, can I be an encouragement to this person? Would you like to glorify yourself somehow through my life? Or let me receive what this, or help me to love them. I mean, it can be a constant conversation because he is present and he is listening in all of my life. I can talk to him constantly. There isn't a time in my life when I cannot, I'm unable to talk. So sometimes it's, here we are, Father. Help me with this, Father. Father, I need you now. How should I respond to this, Father? What do you want me to do? I'm angry, Father. I'm sad now. I'm heartbroken now. Guide me now. Father, your love, your patience, your forgiveness, your strength. Father, this is going to take all of my concentration. I'm just going to trust you while I give myself to this. What did Jesus do? He prayed like that all the time. While he was dealing with these guys... You know, and their shortcomings, while he was looking forward to the cross, he's talking to his father all the time. And sometimes he drew aside to focus his attention exclusively on his father. But don't you think in the face of those disciples, he was talking to his father all the time? And probably sometimes he was shaking his head and saying, Father, why don't they get it? Practice constant conscious communion. That's how we do it. We just... Start. You just pick a time in your life, any time in your life. Could be the drive to work. It'd be good if we prayed while we drive. Uh, maybe you need a quiet time. Maybe a maybe relationship with other people. Maybe I don't know. Jesus here at the last verse eight, he says, "Will the Son of Man, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth?" You see, this is about this thing. How will you know that you have faith? By constant conscious communion. The only way... You you can't answer this for the world. You can't answer it for the rest of the church. You can't answer even for your own family. It's a question that Jesus just leaves there. Will the Son of Man find faith on the earth? I can't answer that for you. I can only answer it for me. And here's what I want. I want when Jesus comes for me. In my death. Or if he comes in the sky. I want him to find faith in me. And how will I know that could ever be true? Only if, only if I learn that prayer is a constant conscious communion with my Father. Communion. We're going to take communion now. This is the moment in time when the preacher mentions the Lord's Supper or communion and you all shut your Bibles and begin to shut down um, because we're now going to get ready to leave. So... Let's test this one out. Can you have a constant prayer exchange with God in any place, in any time? Okay, let's try it during communion. 
Now, you might be thinking, well, that's especially easy because this is all about the Lord's body and blood and it's all about Jesus and worship and, you know, and so, it, and, you know, and we'll have soft music playing in the background and it'll be real easy for us to be able to do this. But here's the reality. Let's be honest for just a moment. I'm sorry I'm taking so long. Well, I'm not real sorry, but I'm somewhat sorry I'm taking so long. So the reality of communion time when we do it this way, when you walked in here, you saw the, you know, the, the trays and everything down here, and you're thinking, oh, when we take communion, that means it's going to be one of those get up and come forward kind of times. And then what happens, maybe this doesn't happen to you, but I think to myself, I hate to stand in lines, you know, and they just form lines, and then you just stand there, and, you know, and we're all real somber and serious, and, you know, it's all about the cross, and so we're supposed to be real serious and not smile at anybody or even look at anybody, or, you know, we have to stand in line. And then we got this problem with the seating thing, because we have to make sure that the people that are next to us go out first so that, and come back first, because we don't have to climb over everybody, and... And then we get right next to somebody that we haven't talked to in like weeks and we really like them and we just love to hug them or something like that. But this is communion. We can't do that. So and then we've got to get organized and then you've got to take this bread and cup and you've got to make sure you don't drop it, you know, and, and then you go back to your chair and, and then you sit down and then you have this brief moment in time when you're supposed to focus on Jesus and his body and blood and then we're done. So what I want to suggest to you. Let's change a little bit of the way we do this. Let's do the get up and walk forward, you know, but let's let's talk to God while we do it. Now, you might be thinking, well, that means I wouldn't be able to talk to anybody else. No, it's like if I see you, my brother, I haven't talked to you in a long time. I, I want to like hug you. So or I want to thank God for you, you know, and and I want to thank God that I belong to a church and I, I want to rejoice in, in this moment and, and I want the Lord's Supper not always to be the serious somber kind. I want it to be a rejoicing of us together as the family of God and I, so I can talk to God and thank Him while I'm, we're doing all this. Can you? You get what I'm trying to say? I'm not try, trying to tell you what to pray. I'm just trying to tell you in the midst of the challenge and the logistics and the questions and the, even some discomfort, you can talk to God and you can love one another And you can honor Jesus Christ by remembering his body and his blood. And remember the cross is empty. This is a time of victory. Can you do that? Okay, let's try it. Let me pray and we'll do it. So Father, we just yield these minutes to you now. We just have a couple more minutes together. And now we do want to honor Jesus Christ and what he's done for us. And we know that you want to hear from us. You don't want us just to give ourselves to standing in a line or walking forward or doing some physical thing. You you want us to walk with you and talk to you and relate to you and worship you and love you and love each other in these, these minutes. So help us to relax a little bit, trust in you, and talk to you while we do this thing that honors the Master. Help us that we pray, Father. I pray that you would help your people talk to you. And Father, would you do this amazing thing? Will you say something to us? For the glory of Jesus and our joy, we ask. Amen. Tables are open. Come forward.